Good morning. When um, our first child was born, we were thrilled and excited that God has given us a baby girl. But after she turned one, she started struggling with eczema. And she struggled with it for six years with sleepless nights and severe itching. It was difficult for us parents to watch this. And during those years, God brought us closer to Him. And, and He caused us to trust Him. He healed her. And we have encouraged others about how God uses suffering for our good. And now, when she's 15, her eczema is back. And this time, it's worse. And we are left wondering, why would God love this now? Again? Didn't God heal her? How long, O oh Lord? What has she done to deserve this now? And how long does she have to suffer? Our youngest daughter has turned one and we realize that she's also struggling with eczema. Suffering raises a lot of questions. Suffering affects us. It is difficult to see God's goodness when we suffer. If you're honest, it's difficult to pray. It's easier to ask questions. It's really difficult to persist in faith when we experience pain. Especially when things don't make sense and we just can't connect those dots. Friends, is this true of you today? Have you been struggling and you've been wondering, why me? God, why now? What have I done this time? And how much longer should I wait? And how much should I pray? My prayer is that Psalm 44 will encourage all of us today. The people in the psalm have been in pain for some time and God hasn't responded to them. He has been silent thus far. And yet they persevered in faith. My hope is that we will see that God's people persevered through pain because of their hope in God's unfailing love. I'll say that once more. God's people persevered through pain because of their hope in God's unfailing love. How do we see this in the psalm? Well, we can divide the psalm into two. The first 22 verses of the psalm answers the question, how people persevered through pain. That's verses 1 to 22. And verses 23 to 26 answers the question, why did they persevere in pain? How come they didn't quit? Why did they keep praying? Well, that's verses 23 to 26. 
So let's look at the first section of the psalm, verses 1 to 22, where we see God's people persevere through pain. And how did they do that? They did that by doing three things. Number one, they recall God's work in history. This is verses 1 to 8. They recall God's work in history. In, In recalling God's work, they bring to mind who God is and what He has done in the past. There's so much about God in this section. So if you look at verse 2, it says, You with your own hands drove out nations, but them you planted. Them referring to their forefathers. God rescued their forefathers who were slaves in Egypt and blessed them by bringing them to the land of Canaan. God didn't just plant them. He caused them to flourish in this land. And although they fought, it was God who gave them victory. Victory was impossible without God at work. This God is a great God. This God is a powerful God. He, he actually divided the sea so that he could save his people. He actually sent food from, food from heaven. He brought down a wall in Jericho. He brought water out of the rock. And he covered his people with clouds. He even made a donkey talk to a greedy man. And he wiped out an entire generation of unbelieving people. That's who this God is. He's great. But this God is also gracious. If you look at verse 3, it says, Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm, the light of your face, meaning grace, for you delighted in them. Well, God took delight in these people because he favored them. This was what their forefathers taught them. That their God, Yahweh, is a great God. And he's a gracious God. Trust him. Even when things don't go well. Trust him. But that's not all. The people who are in pain here recall their own history just... Not just that of the forefathers. They are here in this land because God has kept his word of blessing his people. They've grown in number, fought many battles, and in all these, God was with these people. God saved them from their enemies and gave them victory just as he did for for their forefathers. If you look at verse 7, it says, You have saved us from our foes. So their hearts now, as they think of God, are just filled with praise and thanksgiving. As they conclude in verse 8, In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Amen. When they are struggling, and we will see that in a minute, being oppressed, in grief, and in pain, their thoughts of God move them to praise Him. People persevered in pain by reminding themselves who God was. Friends, this is so important when we go through difficult times, when we are overwhelmed by difficulties and challenging situations, we are tempted to forget God. We want quick fixes because we want freedom from pain. We don't like pain. You want to run from pain. We are more inclined to being impatient and anxious and and doubtful. 
we want to wander away from God and live like this life has no purpose. Well, this section teaches us that reflecting on who God is helps us persevere in our suffering. It helps us because it takes our attention off ourselves. In fact, verses 1 to 8 tells us that their reflection of God moved them to praise God. What are some of the things we can reflect on when we go through suffering? I want to share with you four things that we can reflect on when we go through suffering. One, God knows. God knows. Psalm 139 verses 1 to 6. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know. This is important because only someone who understands you and me can completely and perfectly meet with all our needs. He knows the intensity of our trials, our deepest struggle and our greatest fear perfectly and completely. And so when my daughter Irene keeps itching at night and she can't sleep and she goes to a school and she sleeps in the class and she comes back tired and I can't do anything nor can I say anything, I can be confident knowing that my God knows and He's able to meet with her needs. And I have seen that. To God is with us. Psalm 23 verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack a thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He takes me to quiet waters of rest. And he restores my strength. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And one of those right paths is in verse 3. Even though I walk through the valleys of deep darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they keep me calm. They keep me stable. When you struggle with loneliness and you just have no one to talk to and there's no one who's reaching out to you, be comforted with the fact that God does not abandon his children. God is with us in our struggles. Three. God uses affliction to make us like Jesus. That's Romans 8 verses 28 and 29. God uses affliction to make us like Jesus. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. Because God loves His children, He is forming Christ in them. The lives of Christians are centered on Christ, not on themselves. So when I go through struggles... In my pain, I can actually tell God, God, thank you that you are forming Christ in me through my trials. Four, glory awaits us. Glory awaits us. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Suffering on this side of life is not worth comparing, friends. God promises glory for His children. There is glory awaiting God's people. Eczema is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Heartache, loneliness, physical pain is not worth comparing to the rest and peace and joy that God's presence will give me for all of eternity. Glory awaits us. Oh, friends, if you're struggling this morning, will you take time to think through these things today? Will you look to God now and find comfort in Him now? And that's what the Israelites did. They persisted in pain by recalling God's work, who God is. But that's not all. They also prayed in verses 9 to 16. Well, the whole psalm is a prayer, but you see them bring, pouring out their heart in verses 9 to 16. If you look carefully at these verses, there are seven things that they are saying. And I'm not going to read these verses. I'll just tell you what they're saying and what they're suffering. They've suffered loss in verse 10. They're physically hurt in verse 11. They're not, they feel that they're not cared for in verse 12. They're being mocked in verses 14 and 15. There's disgrace and shame that cover them in verses 12, 16, and 17. And they are being threatened in verse 19. And you know what? If you jump to verses 22 and 25, they are closer to death. This is a difficult situation. And if you, if you notice their prayers here in verses 9 to 16, it looks like they're confronting God. God, you did this to us. You have rejected us. You have abandoned us. You have brought us shame and disgrace. You hid your face from us. And it looks like they're confronting God. But they're not. This was their way of casting their burdens to God in pain. And so in their pain, this was their way of saying this corning and the taunting of the enemies would not have happened had God come down to rescue them as he, as he did in the past. Because God hadn't saved them yet, it seemed like God was not concerned about them. They are not accusing God, but painfully telling that God's absence and silence has caused the enemy to laugh at their loss and their distress. And they're in pain until God acts. They're tired. They're weak. And they're finding it hard to survive. In their weakness, they... They prayed and they poured out their heart to God. They, they did not allow their circumstances to keep them from God. In their pain, they moved to God in prayer. Well, friends, in our suffering, we are most tempted to keep away from God. We are prone to asking, why me, God? Like, why now? Why? Or even, where are you, God? Like, I've been praying for all these weeks, days, months, and years. What's happening? And how am I going to live like this? How long do I have to live like this? 
Friends, if you've been asking these questions, I want to ask you, how have you been answering those questions? The wisest way to deal with these questions is to ask God himself. Pour out your hearts before God. Tell God your struggles and your doubts and your fears and your pain and your hurts and your worries. Fight the temptation to question God by bringing your questions to God. Pray. We have this unique privilege of coming to our Father. As one biblical counselor said, when we suffer, God does not expect from us technically correct and theologically accurate prayers. He wants us to come and pour out our hearts to Him. Eliza, our little baby girl, who will turn 419 days today, when I was working on my sermon, she would crawl through under the table, on her knees, persistently, yet silently. And she would hold my legs, and she would just look at me. She would not say a word. She wouldn't. And I know what that look means. Daddy, can you just carry me and place me on your lap? Now, how do I know that? I'm her daddy. She's my baby girl. She doesn't want anything else, and I delight in her coming to me. Sermon prep can wait. He can't wait. I would love to carry my daughter and have her on my lap. I love her. How much more our Heavenly Father who invites us to come to Him in prayer and who delights to hear us. He is our Father. And if you're struggling to pray, I want to encourage you with two truths today from the Scriptures. Number one, God helps us in our prayers. God helps us in our prayers. Romans 8 verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit, who is God, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we really do not know what to pray for in our struggles, and we really do not know what to pray for when we are struggling. Because struggling affects the way we think about life and God. Well, here is what God, here's how God encourages us. God meets with us in our needy condition. The Holy Spirit, who is God, intercedes for us with groanings. He prays the right prayers for us in our weaknesses, and God answers them for us. God steps in to help us in our needy condition. And so if if you're suffering right now and there's a little bit of hope in us and our faith has grown and we are marked by peace, let me encourage you by saying this is because the Holy Spirit has interceded for us with groanings and God is answering that. This is a gift. Second, God answers our prayers. God helps us in our prayers and God answers our prayers. This is Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we pray, 
God answers by giving us peace. Sam Storms, a faithful preacher, pastor, and scholar, says, This is a peace that takes up residence and governs our hearts and overcomes and replaces our anxious thoughts. Your loving Heavenly Father will give you peace. Peace that transcends pain and therefore indescribable. Peace to God and protect our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Peace to face difficulties and endure with patience. Peace in pain, not freedom from pain, as some people teach. Peace in pain. Peace from heaven. God answers us with peace. That is God's promise to God's children. Pray. Church, if you know of people who are suffering now, I want to encourage you to reach out to them. And listen to them. Your presence protects them from being alone in their suffering. Pray for them and with them. Pray that they would be prayerful. Pray that they would grow in their faith in God. Pray for joy in their hearts. Pray that they would be patient. Pray that God would comfort them. Pray that, pray that they would persevere. Brothers and sisters, prayers help us persevere through difficulties. But you know what? The Israelites did a third thing too. They examined their hearts. And that's in verses 17 to 22. They examined their hearts. Every challenging situation we face is a challenge to our faith. Trials test our faith. It questions our allegiance. Who are we looking to? Who are we depending on? Will we choose God's way or will we choose our way? Will we believe lies about God or will we cling to truths about God? And so here, the people take a look into their own hearts. And I think it serves as a wonderful model for all of us to check our heart's condition when we are in pain. And as the Israelites evaluate their lives, they have three things to say in verse 17, 18, and 20. Well, they say, God, we've been faithful to the covenant. We've obeyed you. And we've not sought help from idols. So they've been obeying God. And that's why this psalm is a difficult psalm. Because God had told the Israelites that God will punish them if they worship other gods. If they've been unfaithful to the covenant. But if they serve him and obey him, he would bless them. This is in Deuteronomy 28. He would bless them with safety, peace, and prosperity. But the experience of the people here speak otherwise. God seems to have forgotten them. The, the pain is deeper when what we believe does not match with what's happening. You believe that God is faithful and yet he's nowhere to be seen. You believe that God is good and yet heartbreaking painful, emotionally draining things happen to you. But why? 
Why would God allow pain and suffering? Especially one that's closer to the death here in Psalm 44. Well, this psalm is not written to tell us why he allowed a difficult phase for the Israelites. It's written to tell us how they responded in the midst of pain. So he's answering the how question, not the why. And this psalm tells us that all suffering is not because of personal sin, as we see in the psalm. But there is suffering that results from sin. Jason spoke about that two weeks ago. Well, it doesn't mean that these people are without sin, that they're not sinners, but it just means that they're committed to God, and they were faithful to Him, and in spite of their obedience, they seem to suffer, and they don't know why. And this could be true of you today. You heard about Jesus. God worked in your heart, convicted you of your sin, and you embraced Christ by repenting of your sins, and you put your faith in Christ. You now want to follow Jesus. You hate sin, and you love holiness. And all of a sudden, your family rejects you. The people who are closest to you reject you. It's painful. Or it may be that you're struggling with a strange disease. You're hurt with broken promises. It's a chronic pain or a very difficult marriage. Financial, a huge financial loss. Loss of life. Even broken friendship. I don't know what you're suffering with. But you're struggling for no fault of yours. It's possible. Suffering makes us weak. Dashes our hopes, distracts the mind, and can paralyze our hearts. It can make you impatient and angry. It can make you question God's love and His compassion for us. God, how come this is not happening to the other Christian in my church? Just me. Why is that? How are you responding to suffering now? Are you angry with God? Do you find it hard to trust God now? Has, has fear taken hold of your heart? Friends, I want you to know that your suffering does not mean that God does not love you or has abandoned you. Why do I say that? Well, because 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look at what God has done on our behalf. God crushed his son Jesus by placing our sin on him. So that what was destroyed by our sin would be fixed by his death. Jesus took the wrath of God against our sin. So that we will never be crushed by God's wrath. God forsook Jesus to save us. Behold God's mercy toward you on the cross and remind yourself of God's eternal love for you in Jesus Christ. Satan wants you to believe that God has abandoned you. Don't. Please don't fall for that lie. 
Tell your soul that God is my Savior. You've got to cling to the cross to fight doubt and hopelessness. Guard your heart and persevere in pain by clinging to the gospel of Jesus that says God has sent his son Jesus and has dealt with my sin on the cross. And Jesus only has cried out, it is finished. And so we are safe. God's love perceives you through difficulties by reminding themselves of who God is, by praying and by examining their hearts. But then the question is, well, why would these people still keep praying and persevere in faith in Psalm 44? What keeps them from quitting? And so let's look at verses 23 to 28, 26, sorry, 23 to 26 that answers this question. God's people hope in God's unfailing love. The psalm has no happy ending. Problems haven't ended. Enemies haven't been defeated. No shouts of hurrah. But if you look at the last verse of this psalm, it's just rich with hope. In spite of all that has been happening, I want you to look at the end of their prayer. It says, redeem us. This is verse 26. Last line in the psalm, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. God, because you are a God of steadfast love, save us. So the psalm ends. Those two words, steadfast love, it's just filled with richness. We don't have adequate words in English to translate the Hebrew word chesed. It is translated as steadfast love, loyal love, kindness, loving kindness, and mercy. It's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. It is central to God's character and is tied to the covenant that God initiates with his people and God establishes with his people. You see, God sets his affections on undeserving sinners and then he establishes a relationship with them and then he commits himself to them. And it is not based on their love for him. That's Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 46. Chesed is God's covenant love for his chosen people. And his covenant love flows from a heart that not only initiates a relationship, but devotes himself to fulfill every responsibility unconditionally in this relationship so that the beloved, that's us, will always experience communion, guidance, enabling, forgiveness, and hope. That's Psalm 136. Steadfast love is God's unwavering devotion in his relationship to his people. But that's not all. It's not just faithfulness. It is also tied to mercy. When the beloved, that's us, 
when the beloved fails to respond with love and faithfulness, God does not quit or abandon. He does not stop loving. He pursues his beloved out of mercy and out of compassion to woo them back to himself. That's why David confessed, surely goodness and chesed will chase me, will pursue me, will follow me all the days of my life. Do you hear his hope? God continually pursues his people because he is a God of steadfast love. The beloved, and that's us, will be persistently pursued with much devotion, much mercy, much compassion, and undeserving love. So God's steadfast love is therefore his devotion or his commitment to personally commit to our good even when we are unfaithful. to God so when we need comfort in our struggles God's chesed pursues us when we are weak God's loyal love holds us and consoles us when nothing seems to be going right his loving kindness gives us hope that's why David said because your loving kindness is better than life my lips will praise you. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and when I meditate on you, for you have been my help. That's loyal love. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's chesed. This was the hope of the Israelites, and this is what helped them persevere, the loyal love of God. You know what? I want you to look at the psalm and look at verses 8, 15, and 22. There's one expression that's repeated three times in the psalm. It's the expression all day long. It's the same word. Verse 8, verse 15, and verse 22. They've been oppressed all day long. They've been scorned all day long. Yet they praise God all day long. I am convinced that what moved them to praise God all day long, when they've been scorned all day long and oppressed all day long, is the steadfast love of God. Well, friends, we enjoy the, the steadfast love of God. We enjoy it because of Jesus. Romans 5, verses 8 to 10 says, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, meaning God-haters, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God rescued his enemies from his wrath through the death of his son, Jesus. Jesus' death saves Jesus' enemies. Jesus' death makes Jesus' enemies God's people. And now because we are God's people, God promises us his total devotion and his commitment. How do I know? Well, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in us will finish it, will complete it through the day of Christ. God is committed to finish what he has begun. He will not quit. He cannot quit. 
He cannot give up on us. He pursues us to finish the good work he has begun in us. This is his steadfast love. The last two words of Psalm 44. Now Paul has this in mind when he writes Romans 8 and he quotes verse 22 in Romans 8. The whole context of Romans 8 is that of suffering. The creation groans for the coming of Jesus. And as he talks about suffering, he says that God promises us glory. Verse 18. And God's covenant promises us hope when we suffer. And it is the faithful love of God that moves him. This is mind-blowing. That God will sovereignly work out all things for my good, which includes suffering. And these experiences that God loves my life is, is, is so that God would form Christ in me. Yes. Yes, Paul says we will face trials and struggles and sufferings. But they are not an indication that God is punishing us or has withdrawn his love from us. We will face troubles. We will face persecution and oppression and abandonment and even death for the sake of Christ. Are these things hard to bear? Yes. It is. But you know what? They cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Cannot. We will therefore face these hardships with joy and hope because of God's faithful love. Christ's suffering is proof that our suffering will not separate us from the love of God. And it is Christ's love for us that promises us a time where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more eczema, and no more cancer, no more divorce. That's Revelation 21. So my daughter comes back from school one day after she had a difficult day at school and she tells me, Dad, do you know after you read Roman, sorry, Revelation 21, those verses helped me smile even though it was a difficult day for me at school. Because I know that one day this will all end. It will end. It is Christ who will bring us finally home. This is God's loyal love. Oh church, it is the loyal love of God that will sustain us and help us persist in our faith. That will hold us when difficulties press against us. Even though this life brings pain and difficulties, may we live and die in the conviction that nothing can separate us from the steadfast love of God. God's people persevere through pain because of God's, because of their hope in God's unfailing love. Let's pray.
Father, we come as needy people to you. You have met with our greatest need in Jesus Christ. Will you cause us to trust you in our deepest struggles, O oh God? Will you protect us from believing the lie that you have abandoned us? You cannot abandon us and you will not abandon us. Help us behold the cross and be assured of your faithful love for us. Help us see the glory that awaits us because of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.